giant robots smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Chap Vitel. And I'm your other host, Lindsay Christensen. And we've got Michael Sheely, CEO and founder of Nurse One back with us today. Welcome back, Michael. Thanks for having me again. Michael, do you have a revenue goal for 2020? <laughs> Uh, I guess I'm supposed to, uh, you know, it's, it's one of these things where we're in such this like volatile, crazy market that any goal I have put on a piece of paper either looks crazy too high or obviously too low now. And so it's, it's a moving target, but we always try to set a goal and, and, and march towards it in that direction for sure. Well, that's kind of why I asked. I wasn't sure actually what you'd say. Because I know you all are working very iteratively. So in a way, a goal that's 12 months out seems outrageous. Like what is even 12 months out? Exactly. I always hate to try to put a short-term goal of revenue as as anything that we're striving for, because I think we're in a, an opportunity where there's like these big long-term opportunities that are you know, completely defined the space of healthcare. And I don't want us to focus on the small opportunities and miss the big ones. But at the same time, we're a business. We need to have revenue to keep you know money flowing in. So there are short-term goals that we have to make sure that we're hitting revenue goals and, and those types of things. But man, it's, it's not a market where it's easy to predict what's happening next, for sure. I'm curious. So what percentage growth were you at the beginning of the year <laughs> expecting to achieve? I'd rather not get into our specific revenue mm-hmm. goals, but we did have more like proof points, I think, at the beginning of, of the year so that we were more trying to prove that there was a market, that there's a space for us, you know, so that we could fundraise and, and then go after the space a lot harder. And the outbreak came and suddenly we were generating revenue that was much higher than what we were, were hoping to have in order to prove ourselves. And, and so the change from where we were thinking before is like, we're still trying to prove that there's a market here, that our product is meeting the demand that we're trying to set it out to. And then suddenly the market took off. And now we're kind of in a race to make sure that we're you know, hitting this the right way, that we're helping the outbreak and all the efforts that are happening around testing and you know all these things that are changing within this space. We're more making sure that we're getting ourselves into the conversation that we're we're the platform that people are going to use for all these different types of things that are needed in order to make us all be able to go back to work or the kids go back to school and, and those types of things. So that's sort of where we picture ourselves right now is just making sure that we're using this platform that we've built to hit that demand. Actually, that, that's a important distinction that we've touched on briefly before, but it might be worth Digging into a little bit, some companies, especially ones that have investment, they might even give the product away for free in the interest of finding product market fit and figuring out who the customers will be and and that sort of thing. But it seems like pricing experiments and having paying customers has been, at least for a little while, part of what your plan was. Yeah, it's a mix. At this stage, we want to make sure that we're building something for the future. So these like short-term opportunities that are popping up are more for us to get revenue and get proof points so that we're continuing to build this bigger vision that we have. But it's hard to put in revenue in front of some of those places 
and prevent you from actually proving out your product. And so there's a balancing mm-hmm. act that you have to have, whereas you, you want to make sure you get that big client and you don't want to put revenue in the, in the way and the excuse of why it's not successful. But at the same time, you can't have no revenue because then you don't really know if they really want the product or they're just using it because it's free. So you have to sort of balance that. And it's it's hard to come up with a solid pricing structure for a company, I think, at our stage and in this climate where we're just like, this is how much our product costs. Instead, it's more of a conversation to see like, well, what, what does a client need? How much does that cost us? And how much would they be willing to pay for that? And that's where we're at right now is still this like fluctuation around what we think we could price the product at. Having these conversations, finding out that maybe that price is too high, but there's also a couple of expenses that we can remove from our offering because they don't really need those things. And that's why we priced it at that high. So that's sort of where we're at right now in this stage where it's it's more of a conversation and building these relationships with our clients so that we can actually solve the problem and and make sure that we're building a business in, in the meantime. And are you charging end users or charging the customer who is like more like a, a partner? Yeah. You know, we, we have two models right now. If you come to nurse11.com directly, uh, we charge $12.50 to the patient. And our goal is to make it free for all patients. So that is not our business model. That's just there so that anybody can use the product if they need to. And then we can also pay the nurses who they're chatting with. But our end goal is to have it free for all patients. That's where really where you know our mission is to make healthcare more accessible and easy to understand for everybody. And we've learned really quickly that you need to have the product free for patients if you're going to have them engage with it at this stage of the decision-making point that we target for patients. And when you said that it's hard to predict revenue in this market, did you mean in general in like the healthcare market or are you speaking to the markets changed because of COVID? I mean, it's hard to tell what clients are reliant on other clients who are struggling. And so, you know, we can have a great partnership that comes in the door and think, you know, this is clearly something that isn't going to be affected by the shutdown and then find out that their clients are affected by the shutdown and it's just taking longer for, you know, them to feel the pain and mm-hmm. then it hits us. And so, those are sort of the challenges is understanding how big these opportunities are, how long-term they are. That's the other challenge that we have here. We don't want to build something that's only going to work during the shutdown or only going to work for the next six months while you know the healthcare industry is trying to get its grips on, on the outbreak. We want to build something that's long-term. And that's the hard thing is that, you know, one day we're building a product for one partnership and then a whole different aspect of healthcare comes knocking on the door and we've never even investigated it. And when they lay out exactly what their needs are and why they're reaching out to us, it fits perfectly. And and now suddenly we're, we're realizing that there's a whole other aspect of healthcare that that we can tap into, that we can help with the product that we have today. And and that's what's really making it challenging. It's understanding which ones are the short-term partnerships, which ones are going to last, but then also mm-hmm. not realizing that there's a whole other aspect of this market that's suffering that really needs help. And then they come actually reaching out to us. And some of them are so big that we can't turn them down. We still have to have those conversations. And it's really made it hard to estimate where, where we're going to be in you know even the next couple of months. Does that differ from your previous experiences in in the more consumer-focused apps and businesses that you've been part of before? Yeah, for sure. Consumer, for me, has always been 
this like linear path, right? Where you're not working with one client that suddenly is going to drastically increase your business. You're working with a whole bunch of consumers that over time you learn their behaviors and you're optimizing parts of your product. You're launching new features, which could have a, a step function increase in your business. In B2B, you know, you're making these partnerships. They take longer, uh, but when they hit, sometimes they completely change the business. And so it is very different from consumer in those aspects. The way that we're building this product in this company is that we still want to be focused on the patient. And so those aspects of what we're building very much matter and very much are the same in a B2C type of environment where, you know, our metrics are really how much are we improving the patient's outcomes? What is the experience that these patients have? Because ultimately that's what's going to make the decisions for the B2B partnerships that we have. So it's a little bit of both of B2B and B2C that we have to play in. We've talked before about, you know, you have a relatively small team now. When it comes to these partnership conversations, who on your team is actively having those conversations or trying to start new ones? Do you have a sales team? Is it you? What's that look like? Yeah, I think everybody in this company has acted like sales at one point or another. We've had inbound leads come through our CTO, our head of marketing, our nurses. Uh, so we have a network of 1,100 nurses now on the platform. And you know they're all working day jobs within healthcare systems or at payers and employers and all, all different aspects of, of the country they touch. And so these leads are coming from all different parts of our business. Our chief medical officer is also acting part sales. Almost 100% of what I do is sales at, at this stage. And so I hate even using the word sales at this stage. It's more like business development. It's building these relationships. We're not at the stage where we're cold calling and going through lists and we don't have a script that we use and we don't have these you know, more elaborate processes that a sales organization would have. It's it's more somebody comes in and, and pitches us of how they want to use our product. And then, you know, we have to assess whether that's an opportunity we want to go for or not. That's sort of the stage that we're at in terms of sales. But during, you know, almost any month, I could say almost anybody in our company is working sales. Do you see bringing on a dedicated person anytime soon or right now? Is it kind of manageable for the existing team because you are getting those inbound inquiries? It is not manageable by any means right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the look for somebody to join the team. We're at the stage where we're trying to figure out like, what does that even look like? Again, I hate to say like, we're hiring a salesperson. We are looking to, to add to this team right now. Uh, we would hire yesterday if the right person came through the door, but that is a big aspect of what everybody's doing on a day-to-day -day basis at Nurse One One that we know we need to have a dedicated person focusing on. And it's a lot. It's not just reaching out and getting the sales and using their existing network, but it's also building those relationships once they come in the door and managing those relationships to make sure that they're a lasting partner with us. And, and that's sort of the role that we're looking for now is someone who's been there, done that, has sold to payers maybe large healthcare systems that take on risk. Those are uh, ACOs are, are another area that we're looking to, to get into. So anybody that has experience bringing a product to those environments where they're not already given a script of this is what you say and, and this is how we sell the product and this is what the customer specifically looks like. We're still in the phase where we're figuring that out. So 
this hire that we're looking for is somebody that can dive in and sort of create that aspect of our business. I think you use an acronym, ACL. What does that mean? That's right. I, you know, five years ago, I wouldn't have no idea what that stood for either. <laughs> yeah, that's Accountable Care Organization. I think when you look at the future of healthcare, everything that's happening within these accountable care organizations are where healthcare is going. What that means, and in essence, historically, and I'd say most of today, healthcare is what's called fee-for-service. So you go to the doctor, they do something for you. And they bill you or your insurance company for that service, and that's it. And and that's fee-for-service. Where everything's moving is what's called value-based care. And so value-based care is you've never gone to the doctor, but you should, and then suddenly you get really sick. The organization that's an ACO that that you might be a member under is going to foot the bill that they weren't engaging you as a patient and maybe catching things earlier. And so it's a way to make organizations take care of their patients and share sort of the risk in terms of making sure that people aren't overutilizing care. So if you're going to the emergency room for things that you shouldn't, the ACO is going to, to foot the bill for that. They're not going to benefit from you getting an elective procedure or, or a, a surgery that you shouldn't have to. They're going to be more incentivized to make sure that you're getting the appropriate care that you need. And these organizations look at giant populations. The only way that that works is if you have a large enough population where statistics matter. And so they're very data-based. It's a lot about engaging patients, making sure that patients are informed so that they're making the proper decisions, making sure that they know the options that are available to them so that they're not just going to the only option that they know of. And that's really where we fit. We have a white paper that's launching next week. By the time this podcast is live, we'll have it live. But we have enough data now to show exactly how powerful we are as a company to help companies, ACOs and payers really get their patients to go to the right place, keep them out of the emergency room. About 17% of all patients that have gone through Nurse 11 have indicated that they're about to go to the emergency room. And we have seen that about 95% of all those patients who are about to go to the emergency room, we actually divert to a more appropriate level of care, whether that's 20% of all of our patients being recommended to a video visit, whether that's going to the doctor or whether that's just giving them enough information where the patient realizes that they, they probably don't need to go anywhere for care. And that is a big cost savings. If an emergency room visit on average is $1,400, keeping a patient from going there when they shouldn't. That is a big savings for you know the patient themselves, but then also any organization that's bearing the risk for that patient. Have you released white papers previously? No, this we. Is first this one. is this is the first one, and it's taken sort of the growth in the number of patients who are using Nurse One One in the past few months to get us to have enough data and enough statistical significance that people actually look at the data that we have. We're also keeping track of, you know, what payers these patients are going to. So when we have these conversations, you know, it's it's less about this is what we could be doing for the members of your insurance plan. It's more about here is what we have already done for them. Here's the percentage of your members who have used Nurse Home One. Here is how many of them indicated that they're about to go to the emergency room. And here's where we sent them. And here's how much money we've already saved you. Those are the types of conversations that we're looking to have now. And now we have enough information that putting this work into a white paper and showing people exactly what Nurse One One is doing already for them. Uh, that's really at the stage that we're at right now. Are you thinking about that white paper as marketing? What's the motivation 
behind it? You know, it probably is marketing. I think for us, the way our culture is at, at Nurse One One, it's more of an excitement. We've seen indications of all of these things in the past, and now suddenly we have tens of thousands of patients coming through our platform, and we're seeing those assumptions that we had previously hold up. And we've seen other ones drastically increase. We're nearing about 60% on our NPS score, which is net promoter score, showing how often people who use our product want to promote this to their friends. On average in the healthcare industry, it's about nine, right? And so nine is what people are used to when they experience healthcare. And we have almost 60, you know, 59 right now. These are the things that when we see, and we always knew it. It's exciting. And we just want to like scream from the mountaintops and let everybody know that like this, <laughs> this works. Like we weren't making this up. That is part of, I think, really the motivation behind it. But how do you then turn this into marketing material so that we can walk into any of these clients that we've been talking to and say, like, see, I told you so. And that's probably where this role and that's where like the skill set of the team probably has a gap, right? Is finding someone who is better at having those conversations and running those processes so that this type of data and proof that our product works can actually convert into sales. So you mentioned when you're looking to hire this person for business development, a few things that are important. One is that they have kind of deep experience with the space that you're in. So they'll actually be bringing that knowledge to your team instead of maybe vice versa, where you're ramping someone else up on on the space. You also mentioned them just having a sales process and bringing that into the existing processes that you have. I'm curious if you've thought about whether you'll want someone who has worked at a startup before, or if that's not important to you. That's a good question. I think a whole bunch of factors go into hiring an individual working at a startup. You know, it doesn't have to be at our early stage, but if you've only worked at fortune 500 companies, I think there's a huge shock when someone walks in the door of a startup. The feedback I always get from people who have never worked in a startup before is that nothing's organized, uh, that the communication within the company is horrible and that there's no plan. And I, I think sometimes that's too much of a shock, but if someone's been at a company that has, you know, 50 or 60 employees when they joined and, you know, led the beginning of that sales team or was a, a crucial initial member, maybe they worked for the person who was the initial salesperson at, at a company, you know, that, that all works as well. But it really comes down to the individual, right? If this is somebody that I actually want to work with that is jiving and, and I can tell, you know, really believes in the mission of the company and, and is getting along with everybody else, then, then those are the things that will probably more outweigh whether or not they've been at an early stage startup or not. Have you grown or started sales teams before? Never. <laughs> Never <laughs> at all. No, which is why I, I need someone who's been at that stage where they've built it. Because if this was a marketing hire, it wouldn't have to be someone who has built marketing before because we have you know an amazing uh, person running our marketing department right now. Or a tech hire wouldn't have to be someone who can build out a tech team because we have somebody there. Right now, it's me doing sales, and I have never built out a sales team before. I've hired a couple of salespeople here and there, but not built that organization. And, and that's why we don't have to hire someone who, who can take on that role, still roll their sleeves up and actually execute. 
in the meantime, but then also as we scale, we'll also be able to scale their organization. In my experience, that can be one of the tricky things when looking for people to join in those positions is, especially as a small company, it can be difficult to find someone who you're confident they can lead and grow a team, but that in the meantime, you need them to be able to execute. And maybe they haven't been doing that and you're getting that balance right seems to be the area where it can be trickiest. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And I I have set no timeline on this hire. I would rather bear the pain of not finding the right person than bearing the pain of finding the wrong person. And then we're, we're, you know, three or four months out and kicking off the process again. I think the, the real downside risk here is hiring the person that doesn't fit rather than finding someone at all. Do you have any advisor either, you know, officially or unofficially that you turn to for advice on the sales side? That is exactly who I'm consulting now as we're building this out. And that's one of the greatest things of building a startup is getting to meet people who have been there and done that, grown companies that not only had large sales part of their organization, but also, you know, they founded the company and then they hired to hire that person and they knew the mistakes that they made. We have a great advisory board that has been there and and done that. So we're, we're definitely leveraging them and getting their feedback it's funny. It's, it's almost like weather predicting where you ask someone and say like, are we at the right stage to hire a salesperson? Uh, what should that person look like? And you get very conflicting <laughs> advice from, from people that understand your business and have been there, done that, that you respect. So it's, it's definitely listening to the advice and trying to you know absorb it all and then make our decision on what we think is best for us. Did your previous companies have sales teams or was it in-app growth? Uh, most of it was in-app. I mean, we started to build yeah. out a sales team at Moby when I was had a product there, but I left to go start another company before that company started to scale. And I think they ended up getting acquired by a company that had a sales team. So I've never been even at a company that had a pure sales team. I'd say the closest that my experience has come to, to selling is pitching investors or hmm. when I was in a defense contractor building contracts with the government. And, and those were the, the experience that I have. It's not a place where I can just go and lone wolf this experience and build a sales team. I, I need to definitely leverage the network that we have of people who have been there and done that. So you mentioned that what it's looking like now is potential partners or clients are coming to you and it's more of like they're pitching you about how they want to use your product. That's a Great position to be in. Yeah, I think that speaks to just the craziness of this marketplace right now. We had a client that reached out to us that said, you know, this is the need that we have because the supplier that we were using is completely shifting its business model towards something else. And and we're kind of left needing the solution. That particular one isn't, isn't going to work out. Like it, it had too many other requirements to it that we would have to add to the business and change too much of our goal and, and where we want to go with this company. But then other ones come to us and say like, this is where we're expanding. We're seeing a lot of growth doing this. Can you help? And this is why you know, I saw your partnership with company X and can you do this also for us? And then it turns out it's the exact same product that we've been building. And, mm-hmm. and those are the, that's where we're at right now is having those types of conversations. I think I've reached out to two companies like to actually be like, hey, let me see <laughs> if Nurse One One can can do for you what we did for this other company. 
I just don't know how to do that. Like it's the most how to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most awkward Zoom. I shut the zooms off and I'm like, what the heck did I just do that for? And <laughs> I don't I don't know how to convince somebody of, of anything, right? Like I I wait for someone to reach out and say, like, oh my God, I need your product. Like this is what I want it to do. And then we go and do it. But I can't convince someone to to buy this like shiny car. That's not something I mean, it's like halfway through the call, I, I started actually talking about other startups that I knew of that might actually solve the problems that they have. Because <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, we're, okay, this isn't a fit. But that one thing that you just mentioned, maybe you should talk to these people. And that may be part of my personality, but also the experience. I have no experience doing those types of calls or reaching out when there isn't a relationship already there, which I think is kind of the the cool part about this hire, right? If, if you're somebody that can actually do that, and has done that, you're walking into an organization, you're never going to have your, the CEO say to you, like, this is how you need to run this organization. This is how you don't need to do it. Cause I have no idea. And I think that's what I do with every part of this company. It was like, I have no idea how to be the chief medical officer of a, of a tech company. I have no medical degree. So like it's you and, and you get to build this out the way that you think it should. And I think that's, what's most appealing to people who, who like that type of environment. But I think also recognizing, let's assume they truly weren't a fit and it wasn't just your poor sales skills. Um, <laughs> pivoting into sharing other resources that they can use. I mean, honestly, that kind of reminds me of a lot of the sales conversations that happen at ThoughtBot, where managing directors are maybe talking to someone who has an interest in working with us. And it turns out we say, you know what? I don't think this is actually a, a good fit. Why don't you try validating this? Or, you know, why don't you try working with these other folks who might be able to help you? And sometimes that actually ends up turning into some really great referrals <laughs> from those people uh, who kind of build trust in our process. Yeah, that's true. I think, you know, it's like I've, I've never worked with ThoughtBot, but anytime I'm like, maybe we need to expand really quickly, like you guys pop in and I don't think you've ever pitched me on a sale. So you do have a very good point there. Yeah, that's how I've always approached it is is being helpful, being present and what goes around comes around like something good will eventually come about if, if you just generally are good. <laughs> but maybe I'm also maybe not the best salesperson. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> it sounds like you also have done some disqualifying of potential partners. I think you had mentioned it in a previous conversation we had that there are certain kind of characteristics you're looking out for that are a better fit than others. Can you right. speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I can go back to a, an old email chain that got forwarded to us from a health care organization where the concern that they had, and as we've built this product and we start to see like, what are the strengths that Nurse One One has, which is clearly diverting patients away from going to care that they shouldn't go to, you know, getting them to understand the video visits and, and why they're powerful is one thing, but you know, convincing someone why they don't need to go to the urgent care for something that doesn't need to result in an appointment is something that we've seen our nurses do over and over and over again. And in the early days, we were talking to an urgent care chain. And one of the concerns that was buried in a, an internal thread that got forwarded to me was literally the term, this is going to reduce the visits of BS concerns or BS health questions. And they actually use the word BS in it, meaning that they are hoping to get volume from patients that don't even need to be at their clinics. And mm -hmm. that, I literally screenshot that and shared it with our chief medical officer. And we were just like, we will never do business with that organization. 
no matter what they do. And they they have reached out for conversations after that, like, hey, we're actually thinking of doing something with telemedicine. And just in the back of my head, I'm like, that's fine. We can have the conversation, but there's no chance, no chance you guys are fit to use our product. And that comes down to like, they're not going to truly value your product and what you have to offer. Right. Exactly. And it's not the type of incentives we want to be built into as well. There's a couple of things that we've done in this company. Every nurse that has a conversation with a patient gets paid no matter what, no matter what recommendation they give, they're getting paid the same amount. And they, in many cases, have no idea what our business model is. And we like it that way. And we've built it that way so that these nurses are only providing the right information and the right guidance to patients that they think fit for that patient. And, you know, when you get into some of these conversations and you think of like, what is this going to look like in the long term when we work with this partner? What are metrics are we going to have to hit for them? You know, it really comes back to is like, are we going to have to like jeopardize this sacred aspect of our product and actually start building in things that are going to like do all, all the things that we've seen on social media apps where you like get somebody to click on a button that they probably shouldn't click on and trick them into doing things. I think in healthcare, it's super important for any product that's going into the future of healthcare to make sure that that is not the case. And that all starts from the top. If you're making partnerships that are incentivized to get patients to come in when they shouldn't, that's going to filter in no matter how great you are at putting up those roadblocks that it doesn't affect certain parts of your product, it will always bleed in, whether that's the culture of the people people that are you're hiring, whether that's features that you're adding to the product, it's going to start bleeding in over time. And, and we just have to make sure that we're not having those types of partnerships at all so that that doesn't start to happen. It seems like either it's a real or perceived concern, but I think that that's one of the fundamental concerns that people have when they are thinking about how does sales work at our company or maybe we have a sales team and we are continually at odds. It it's, comes down to understanding what you're trying to do as a company and selling to that and making sure that you have customers that match that. Yeah. So yeah. that strikes me as that hire is going to be really important for you to make sure that you get that right person. Yep. It, it is absolutely my top focus uh, right now, other than our clients. Uh, that is our, our top focus <laughs> to get the right person in there to, to handle that. And, and as I have conversations with the partners that we have today, I'm thinking of, you know, there should be a point where I'm not the point person to the existing clients. I'll, I'll always be available. And I'm always thinking like the person that we're going to hire is going to be interacting with this person. How do I make sure that I don't hurt this relationship when there's a different person being our point person for our existing clients? That's helping also make sure that we hire the right person as well. Will that be difficult for you to hand over? Be honest. You know, it's, I, I think the harder, if I look into the future of like, what is going to be the hardest for me to unleash my hands for and that's products, <laughs> not having that handle on what features are being built first or what features are being built at all. I think that's, that's going to be the biggest challenge going forward. At some point, we're going to hire someone who's the head of product and pro- I can, like, it's even making me uncomfortable to talk about that, but at some point, <laughs> at, at some point that's going to have to happen. He's yeah, I, I am. I'm squirming in my chair right now. That is going to be much more difficult than handing off sales. I, I'm actually looking forward to handing off sales because I think there's a lot more parts of this company that we could be expanding on if I was freed up and not doing this. So I don't think that that will be a challenge for me at all. I think the existing clients we have now, it might be hard to to not be on every single conversation just because I've, I've met them. I've built the relationships with them over time. 
But I think all the new ones, I, I have I have no problem finding someone else who can handle those. We'll probably do them much better than than I could ever do anyways. Well, this isn't related to sales, but I feel like I have to ask. So, so why do you think that you will need to hire a head of product eventually? I think as a company grows, there's many different parts of a company that need to scale. And I think it's hard for an organization to have the CEO and there's countless examples of, of CEOs who are the head of product. But I think in general, it's hard for a company to scale if there's a particular part of the organization that is run by the CEO. It's going to look like they're favorited. It's going to look like that they have the priority. Every other organization is going to feel like they're secondary to product if I'm the head of product. And I think that there's other parts of the company that, that we could be doing other than just being focused on product. And so Eventually, we'll have to hire someone who is running product, uh, and that will allow us to start doing other things until eventually those other things I start working on, we'll hire somebody else to start focusing on them. I think that's sort of the role of a CEO is to constantly be firing yourself from the tasks that you do in the early days and grow as a true CEO of a company. That's a really good point. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. On the partnership front, I think every time we talk, you've got a new one. Have there been any partnership updates lately? Uh, nothing public. Uh, I'm trying to remember what we talked about last time. We've partnered with a company called Oxy Insure, which makes oxygen equipment for people who have COPD. That is a really great one for us. It, it, it allows us to start focusing on a different segment of the population than what has been coming directly to us or through the channels that we've partnered with. It's an older population. There's caregivers involved who are, are taking care of aging parents. It's really allowed us to expand our our nurse network as well to make sure that we have more than enough nurse practitioners who are focused on COPD and and work with patients that are older than the typical 30-year-olds that come onto our platform. So it's been a great partnership for us. You know, we're continuing to grow and there's plans of, of doing more for them as well. And so that's that's a new one. We typically try not to like over-promote the partnerships that we get in healthcare. I think that comes off the wrong way, especially in this climate and social media. It's like the worst thing you want to be doing right now is just like start like saying like, look at this great partnership we have and like look tone deaf. Mm-hmm. And so we like the fact that they're starting to promote us and promote us to their patients and not just a PR widget that they've put on their platform so that they can get press about it. That's, I think, the really great part about that partnership and other ones that we have is that we're, we're building a relationship. We're starting to offer more and more features. We're seeing patients that are coming from this population that really love the offering to have a text conversation with a nurse 24-7 on demand within eight seconds. You're, you're chatting with a live nurse. You know, that's that's really, I think, the big benefit we're getting from that partnership. Anything else new and exciting? Are y'all thinking about going back to the office at all? There's two aspects of back to the office. We are making partnerships that will help with organizations that are creating plans to get their employees back into the the office. So that's one front. Us personally, we actually just let up our lease. Uh, We did that last month. We just decided none of us felt comfortable yet going back Mm -hmm. to the office if we didn't have to. You know, it, it is a risk where it's like right now we're still working off of the you know, the culture and the communications that we had when we had an office. So we're still executing off of that. And as we build the team out, 
as we start to expand and we start to get into things that we haven't had all these like side conversations with in the office, I think that's going to be a challenge for us going forward. So eventually we will have an office again, but as of right now, we do not. And we probably won't for the rest of the year. Well, if you have the opportunity to drop that liability, it seems like it's a smart or prudent business decision to do that, very least in the short term. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. You know, I had this like one-on-one conversation with everybody who went to the office space and said, you know, what if we don't go back until next year? And overwhelmingly, I think everybody was like, I think that's the right idea. I was going to say something or something to that, that effect of, you know, I don't really want to go back to the office and have to wear a face mask all day. Mm. And, you know, those types of conversations or, you know, we're in a shared space, so it's not even our team. It's, it's other teams that come in out of, out of the space. And we have no idea whether they're following the procedures or not. And it just made everybody feel uneasy. Um, and I think we're at the stage right now where we can manage being virtual and we'll see how that works as we grow. And I'm excited to start thinking about like when we do get a space, we'll be in a, a bigger position. You know, we'll have more resources. We'll get a space that's perfect for us. And hopefully that's sooner than later. But that's the plan for now. Cool. Well, we'll be sure to check in with you next month and see how things are going. Yeah, it's constantly changing. Next month, I'll be telling you that we're <laughs> we're in our shared office space and uh, <laughs> <laughs> we've pivoted into something else now. Yeah, you've got a ten person sales team. <laughs> yeah, where where were we last time? Did I talk about the fifth hire that we've had on our sales team? No. Um, yeah, <laughs> hopefully nothing too crazy has happened. Well, if on the off chance someone is listening who thinks that they might be a fit for that sales role or business development, business development, (laughs) sorry, business development role, how can people get in touch with you or is the best place for them to do that? I think, you know, LinkedIn, I'm always around Mm -hmm. Uh, Mike Sheely on LinkedIn. My Twitter is Michael Sheely or just email me. It's Mike at nurse11.com. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. And you can find me on Twitter at Lindsay3D. And me on Twitter at CPytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening and see you next time. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.